The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Almighty God, you so loved the world that you gave your only Son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Pour into our hearts that most excellent gift of love by your Holy Spirit, that we may delight in the inheritance that is ours as your sons and daughters, and live to your praise and glory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. So we're picking up with uh, what's often called the second pillar of catechesis, which is uh, the Lord's Prayer. Um, we teach the Lord's Prayer, uh, if you're kind of coming up to speed, as uh, the pattern and practice of prayer. And as I said last week, you know, uh, well, anyone that sits down to sew a dress, what's the first thing they do? Patterns. It's all about patterns, right? Now, maybe, maybe, maybe you've advanced far beyond patterns and you can just sort of freeform it. Um, I have a friend who is, whose uh, son is the chief designer at one of the uh, Paris fashion houses. Do you think he uses a pattern? Not at all, right? He just like, boom, he, he draws it, he cuts it, it's like amazing right away. Um, that's, now, granted, you can rely upon the Lord's Prayer to such an extent that it builds in you this, pra- this pattern, right, so that it, it works. Um, you make one dress, you make 20 dresses, you make 30 dresses, and what do you have? You're starting to build some skills, right? Um, we also teach that the Lord's Prayer sets out the practice of prayer. This is much like uh, a lawyer might have a practice or a doctor might have a practice. Um, uh, you may know this. Uh, a, a doctor can't help but look a person up and down and look for potential health problems. Um, you know, uh, a doctor might look at you and say, have you been to a doctor lately? And you'll say, no, why? They'll <laughs> say, you might want to get checked out. Just, just putting that in your ear, right? Why? Well, I've noticed some slight clubbing in your feet. You might have heart disease. And what do you find out? Well, you go to the hospital, you go to the doctor the next week, and they're like, yeah, we need to schedule an angiogram tomorrow because <laughs> you might be, you, it might be worse than that. You might be dying. Um, there's a practice involved, so it's, it's at the point where prayer becomes um, an exercise in practicing God's presence, as many spiritual authors have written about. Um, the one thing that I think I'd really like to say today that, that somehow escaped me is that the center of the Christian life is what we call an interior life. Um, many people just assume that Christians are all about the exterior or what might, call the, might be called the active life, right? So it's out doing stuff. Like we just, and this has gotten to be so in our blood. It's like, we've got to go out and do stuff. It's like, yeah, well, that's true, but it's got to be rooted in this interior life. Um, we all have an interior life, yes? What's it look like? It's, it's, it's your internal monologue, right? And, uh, and uh, it's, it's you talk to yourself, and you talk yourself down, and you talk yourself up, and you, you, uh, you do all kinds of things to get yourself in the right headspace, um, or maybe it's just to figure things out. Um, for me, I like to kind of rehearse, you know, I'm a, I'm a home brewer, and I've recently gotten back into it, and I like to kind of, while I'm sitting in the car, go through the steps, right? in my head, just over and over and over again, so that I'm rehearsing them so that when I go to actually bat, brew the beer that I'm setting out to, to brew, I don't have many mistakes, right? I can, I can sort of do it and get it right. And, and what happens if I follow those steps over and over and over again? Practicing it over and over and over again, what happens? I make fewer and fewer mistakes. I'm able to really flourish, able to make really good beer. Uh, and it's, uh, it's, uh, it's helpful to me. 
the, the, the Christian life really does consist in the interior life. We see this, uh, for instance, with Mary and Martha and Bethany. Remember what happens? Jesus is in the house, they're having dinner. Uh, where's Mary? Backwards. <laughs> Mary's, Mary's at Jesus' feet. She's listening to his teaching. She's, she's, uh, she's doing more than just listening to, to his teaching. Because she's at his feet, she's, she's adoring. She's, uh, she's uh, fully engaged in his life. She is with him, right? Where's Martha? She's in the kitchen. She's, she's running around the house like a crazy person, uh, trying to get everything right, trying to make sure that everything's set and that everything's done. Um, we know the temptation to both of those things, right? We probably know more of the temptation to be busy doing things than we know the temptation to be restful and to sit um, and to listen. Um, but what is it that Jesus says about this? He says, Martha, you are anxious about many things. Only one thing is needle, needful. And what? Mary has chosen the better part. Now, is to say what she's doing, running around doing things is, is bad? Not at all. It's to say that, that the interior life is, is at the center of uh, and should be a priority. In fact, um, you know, in Lent, what we do is we enter into that more deeply. We say, um, how can my interior life and it's not just your interior monologue, but it really does get to the state of your, of your soul, the state of your will, the state of your um, affections, um, the state of your loves. Um, how, do we get down to the, how do we get down to that? And the answer is by opening it up to God's grace and mercy, um, by listening to God, um, by uh, instead of uh, running around, uh, expressing to ourselves our deepest anxieties. Oh, I'm so worried about this, that, and the other thing. How are we going to pay this gigantic bill? Like, it's all those kinds of things, right? To instead commune with God in the heart in prayer, right? right. That's really, really key. Um, and in fact, what we find is that the, the, at the heart of the, of the active life is this thriving interior life. So the Christians who've throughout history done the most good and the most social action, et cetera, have been the ones that are most committed uh, to the life of prayer. Um, so you can, you can think about a lot of that. Um, but, uh, but, it, but it is to say that when we um, forsake the life of prayer to simply do good things, well, we wind up losing that. And, and I'm going to say more about this in, this in the homily this morning because we can look just to Jesus and the temptations in the wilderness. What's, what are the temptations? We should know this. We should know them by heart. The first is to turn stones into bread, right? Um, what's that? Just so he can eat? Well, he's ravenously hungry for sure. He hasn't eaten for 40 days. But it's also to feed. If you can turn stones into bread, what do you get to do? You get to feed all the hungry in the world. Doesn't that sound great? And what does he say? Man shall not live by bread alone. What he's saying to the, to the enemy is this. He's saying uh, that... Uh, that there's a hunger which bread cannot uh, fill. And he's proven that by fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. He's talking about um, uh, how uh, this, he's actually re responding to this temptation to do immense good, um, as to say, even the hungry um, are, are primarily hungry for God as well. Um, and, uh, and that's something we have to remember. Um, now, is it wrong to feed the poor and to feed the hungry? Not at all, but but it's to say that, that at the center of it is this act of life. And if you, if you forsake uh, faithfulness to God, if you forsake this life of intimate prayer um, for that end, you, you go nowhere. I mean, and later he's taken to the pinnacle of the temple and, uh, and said, you know, jump off, which 
I've seen it. Nobody could live through that. <laughs> you're dead. It's hard rock. You're going to die. <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, the temptation is let the angels care for you. you know, cast your cares. Uh, it's kind of like a, a almost like a um, sentimental, oh, just cast your cares on the angel. It's like, yeah, but still jumping off tall buildings is still stupid, okay? <laughs> but it's not just that. There's an even greater temptation. The temptation is to, for people to see this and adore him and think he's the greatest thing since sliced bread, which wasn't invented then, but you get my point. Um, it's to say that, uh, that, that the desire to be adored, um, when, we, when we can retreat into this interior life, what happens? The Father sees in secret, as Jesus says, Matthew chapter 5, um, and, and he will reward you. But it's a secret life. No one knows, no one knows what goes on in that life of yours. Um, finally, there's the temptation, you know, Jesus sort of taken up into outer space and shown the nations of the world. And Satan says, if you will bow down and worship me, I'll give you everything that's, everything that's out there. All these cities, I'll give you power and authority over all of them. And, um, you know, the greatest temptation that we, can be, that we can be tried with is the temptation to power, um, to exercise power, to yield power or wield power, um, and, uh, and it's, it's, it's a terrible loss that goes on. Um, because why would we feel the need to exercise power? Because we're afraid. That's why. Because we're afraid. Um, the, the temptation is to say, you're afraid, so you should do something about it. Take control. Right? Um, and, and the Christian life needs to be marked by continual faith. Um, in fact, it has to be marked by continual faith. And when, and we should know this, when human beings act in fear, what happens? Horrible bad things happen across the board, like it's always bad. Um, when we act in fear, always bad things happen. Um, and when we act for the wielding of, of, of raw power, bad things happen. Um, well, why? I'm going to say all this in the sermon, so I'm just kind of practicing right now. Because it's good for what we're doing right now. What's that? Yeah, we're not made for it. We're we're made we're made merely, uh, we're not merely, but but gloriously to uh, commune with God, um, and to live by His power and by His grace. Um, when we when we wield power um, by our own might, by our own wits, um, and when we especially do so out of fear, um, well. The greatest acts of dehumanization, the greatest acts of, um, of murder, the greatest acts of uh, terror, war, whatever you might want to say, um, it's always fear that's appealed to. Aren't you afraid that such and such is going to happen? Um, just watch some of the, watch some, I'm not casting any kind of political aspersions. You, I'll just tell you, I don't do that. <laughs> so, but watch some of the political speech. Politicians know how to wield fear because a great many of them are in politics because of fear and also because of its twin power. Um, and that is a really hard thing to get around. Um, and it's, it's rare when you find someone who's in politics simply because they're, they're completely altruistic or because they have these <laughs> incredible uh, views of, of, uh, of justice and, and, uh, and they, they're firm believers in, in, uh, in higher order things uh, than just wielding power. Okay. But that's that's enough for today. Um, we're continuing on the. Uh
current section that we're in, oh, this is good, uh, is thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's it. And we're just going to kind of review this because I think we finished it out last week. What's, we finished it? Yeah, I thought we did, but we'll just review it a little bit. Um, God's will, what is it? Well, we say it's to reconcile all things to himself and Jesus Christ and to establish his kingdom on earth. Um, this, this great work of reconciliation um, is essentially uh, to be with uh, creation in glory again. Um, one, of the, one of the great uh, problems of the fall is that, uh, that the lines are drawn starkly between seen and unseen, visible and invisible. Um, we see that uh, there's, there's alienation that's worked between God and creation, um, between uh, human beings and God, between human beings and each other, um, even between human beings and creation. Would you not agree that there's alienation between us and creation? Yeah. Um, you'll, you'll note this, that the people who seem to have an incredible um, connection with creation... Have you ever known somebody who's like a real naturalist and can walk through a forest and tell you all the names of all the plants and all the trees and all the animals? Have you ever done this? It's like, imagine walking through Yosemite with John Muir. It'd be like that, right? You, you would look around and you'd say, goodness, this guy is a, is a man who's a, he's a, he's, he's at one with creation. Um, and, uh, and, and you don't quite see that. Um, some of the great uh, uh, Russian mystics, I don't know, I, I love this, in the Eastern Orthodox tradition, there are Russian mystics who hang out with bears, like wild bears in the wilderness, and they do this, why? Because it's a sign that they are being reconciled to creation, and therefore the, be the bears have nothing to fear from them. Isn't that amazing? Think about St. Francis, right? What's he always depicted as? holding a little bird, right? Do you see that happen on a daily basis? Like a bird just flies up and lands in your hand and it's like, oh, it's so peaceful. Like, no. And, uh, and when I was in seminary, we used to have to deal with wild bees and the bees would come and attack you and, and we'd always say to each other, just, just be St. Francis and you'd have to stand there and go, hmm. And the bee would leave you alone, right? But what happens when you start to go, rah, 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 what, did this, what does the bee do? The bee's terror is way beyond yours and he stings you. And he dies, right? I mean, these are just all examples of how alienation works. But what does God want to do? God wants to reconcile all things in himself, and in a sense, uh, Paul speaks of Jesus Christ being all in all. Um, this is the will of God. This is what it means when we say, thy, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, let's move on to daily bread. What is the fourth petition? This is on 188. What is the fourth petition? The fourth petition is, give us this day our daily bread. Having prayed first for God's glory, kingdom, and will, what do you now pray? I pray for my needs and those of others, my brothers and sisters, for daily provision, pardon for sins, and protection from evil. So the first part of the Lord's Prayer is a prayer for God's glory, kingdom, and will, right? So you, you, we, this shows us something, right? That before we get to praying for others, we're praying for ourselves. Who do we? What do we do? We enter into the loving adoration of God, um, and this is this is a great pattern in prayer. Um, I know that a great number of people through the years that I've talked to, so we, when you sit down to pray, um, 
What's the first thing you do? Well, I take out my prayer list and I start going down all my friends who are sick or all those other things. And, and I'm like, okay, I've got kids. And the kids will occasionally, they just run up to you and they'll be like, I need X, Y, Z. And sometimes I'll just joke with them and I'll say, so uh, what's in it for me? And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, what's in it for me? They're like, uh, I'll give you some. It's like, mm -mm. And then finally they get, oh, yeah, 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 a hug. Yes, that's what I want. <laughs> and and it's, just, it's just to kind of reinforce that, that the way that, uh, that people like to be interacted with is not as objects to the ends that others want, right? Or not means to ends that others want. Um, now, is God like that? Is he going to resent it if you just start praying for others immediately? No, but, but it's to say that, uh, that we always start in adoration because, because God is the greatest good. Um, and we can't be forgetful of that. And the Lord's Prayer shows us how to do that. But it doesn't just show us how to pray to the, the Almighty God who sits up high and does all these, you know, God things, uh, but to pray to a loving Father. So having done that, we turn to uh, this uh, next part of the prayer. What does daily bread mean? Daily bread includes all that we need each day for our bodily provision and spiritual nourishment. So this is not just about bread. Um, it's about everything that you and I need to live um, and to be nourished both, both physically and spiritually. Um, daily bread includes all that we need. Um, well, what does this, this should evoke some, uh, some uh, biblical imagery for us. Any thoughts? Manna. <laughs> what does manna mean in, in Hebrew? <laughs> yeah, it's like, what the heck is this? <laughs> That's what it really is. What is this? Um, and and it's, uh, it's, um, it's given to the people in their wanderings in the desert. How often? Six days a week. It falls from the heavens, and on the sixth day, they gather double portions, right? And that will last till the next day. But if on any other day they keep more than they need, what happens to it? Worms come in and rot it, and it turns nasty, right? Uh, so there's a daily provision of this daily bread. Um, uh, you know, there are several ideas about it. One is it, it looks like frost on the ground. It's kind of this uh, who knows what. Um, Bread, essentially. It's, it's, uh, it's, it falls to the ground and they can eat it and it's nutritious and all the rest. Um, but manna also comes in other forms, like quail, right? Um, and uh, you can just imagine, it's almost like cloudy with a chance of meatballs. Um, but, but the idea is that God is providing this provision for them on a daily basis. And it's in direct response to the people's murmurings. Because what is it that they say in the wilderness? They say, Oh, don't you remember how good the leeks and the fish and the, uh, all the herbs were in Egypt? Um, and their hearts kind of pined for Egypt. Um, but but uh, they, they receive bread for which they do not work. Right? All they have to do is gather it. They receive bread that uh, falls from heaven. So do you see what's also going on? There's this interaction between the seen world and the unseen world. Um, the church fathers love to talk about this because they, they actually say, they, they envision kind of Jesus standing above the people and sort of throwing down manna. Like, you know, here you go. And this is to prefigure uh, um, his, his Eucharistic life. Uh, that's one way to look at it. 
But, but um, we remember this very, very strongly because um, no matter what, even if you have gobs and gobs and gobs of money, you still have to rely on daily bread. Because here's what might happen. Tomorrow it might all be gone. Um, you never know. I mean, think about last week on the stock market. Do you realize that the richest people in the world lost, what, 10% of their wealth? And you might say, well, big deal. At the same time, though, it's a lot of money they lost that wasn't there at the beginning of the week. Think about, uh, think about the fact that, you know, you never know. Tomorrow you might go in and you've had some pain in your hip and you go in and the, and the doctors check you out and you've got bone cancer. You, you just never know. Um, so we turn to God for daily bread in this way. Um, we also, it's to train us to recognize something about the world, which is this. We're often given to think that the reason we live is that we have brainwaves and heartbeats. You know, and so long as you do certain things, you can keep that going. You know, keep, keep healthy, eat right, do all the rest, and you can live a long, long time. And so what do we do? Or maybe not. You know, we're told constantly, you take responsibility for your health. You gotta work out, you gotta eat well, you gotta do all these things, because you know, life, 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 might, life might be really bad if you don't. So you need to be healthy. Um, we learn this from a very young age. And it teaches us, it trains us in a way, that, and this is, not, this is not a bad thing, it's a good thing. Uh, but it does train us in a way that, that, that trains us to believe that our life depends upon food and that our life depends upon uh, being healthy. Um, and, uh, and that's it. But what Christians believe about the state of things is that it's the will of God that keeps things moving in creation. All things are upheld by the word of his power. Is Jesus Christ, who's in the, um, this might be a terrible analogy, but he's in the engine room of creation, keeping things going. Um, it's, it's quite sad today because uh, most people, if you press them, they'll, they'll basically freely admit that they're, they're, in essence, theologically deists. They believe that God just sort of created the world and then he just sort of throws it out into the universe and just sort of just leaves it there. And, and he might come occasionally to do really important things, but that's about it. But, but for Christians, we believe that uh, every single part of creation is held together by, by the will of God. What should you pray for? Why should you pray for daily bread? God calls me to trust him for the needs of each day, to be concerned for the needs of others, to be content with what I have, and to grow in gratitude for his provision. Okay, to trust him for the needs of each day. Um, we can so often fall into patterns of anxiety and fear. Um, I, uh, uh, I've been through periods in my life where, where we had a lot of money in our bank account, more than we could imagine spending, and I've had periods in my life where we didn't have much. Both periods were marked by anxiety. Um, so often we're given to think, you know, if I only had, you know, some cushion, I wouldn't be so worried. That might be partly true, but it's not entirely true. Um, anxieties will wreck us. Um, it should be no surprise that, that when angels appear to human beings, what's the first thing they say? Yeah, 
do not be afraid, <laughs> have no fear, <laughs> whatever, whatever it is. That's the first words out of their mouth. And, well, first off, to meet an angel is a scary thing, okay? Let's just get that out there. But it's also that um, we, learn ourselves, we learn that we ourselves are not, we do not exist in a, in a world that, where we're in control. That's what you learn when you meet an angel. Oh, so there's, there's more. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's how it works. Um, you learn this. Um, but it goes beyond that. Um, it, it goes to that uh, Paul, Paul teaches us um, to be anxious about what? Nothing. <laughs> but in everything, through prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God. We so often would rather be anxious about things, thinking we're doing something positive, than we would be to actually just go out and do it. I remember a few summers ago, I was, I was in spiritual direction, and, and I just shared a lot of my anxieties with my spiritual director. And, and he said, so what's the biggest thing that makes you most anxious? And I said, about what? He's like, well, you know, stuff around the church. And I said, the parking lot has not been striped. <laughs> and it makes me crazy, because I think, you know, somebody's going to hit somebody, and, you know, it's all this stuff, and the vestry won't do it because they, and God bless them, you know, they do really well, but, but you know, it was, it was this, like, they won't do it because they think they're going to resurface it, and I'm just going to, they're not going to resurface it, right? Here we are years later. It hasn't been resurfaced. It's okay. We all, we all live with it because we want to have new air conditioning, right? It's okay. Like, it's all good. But my spiritual director, he's like, you're obviously anxious about this. I said, yes, I'm anxious about it. He's like, go buy some paint cans and stripe the dang thing, and so I did. I got back from, from that meeting, and I bought some paint cans, and I started the parking lot. So if you ever wonder why the job out there is so bad, it's because I did it, right? Because, and what I learned from that was that this, because he, 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 he said this to me. He said, you know, your anxieties are, are God telling you you need to do something about something instead of sitting there and being anxious about it. But he said, and also, um, it doesn't do you any good to be anxious about it, does it? What does it do? It just sort of makes you like, <laughs> just you, you grind your gears. Listen, like I, you're talking to somebody who deals with chronic anxiety, right? Diagnosed chronic anxiety, um, and and I had to realize that like my anxiety doesn't do anything. It, it just doesn't fill any need in creation or in myself, um, and and the best thing that I can do is turn my deepest anxieties into prayers. It's a wonderful thing when you can just do that. You just say. Instead of telling myself how jacked up I should be about X, Y, Z, I really just need to turn all that anxiety into prayer. Um, it is simply a matter of changing your pronouns. Right? I'm serious. If only I was more attentive to da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, then my life would be a lot better. And you can say that to God. He'll take it. If only, Lord, you were more attentive to my needs... Now, that might be a bit of a selfish prayer, and you can change it accordingly, but, you know, it's better than being anxious about it. You know, if only I had a better car, then I wouldn't worry about getting around town and getting stranded on the road, you know, and you could say, Lord, I need a better car. Would you help me with that? Um, so this is, what we're, this is how daily bread works. And listen, if you meet somebody from a from a, a, a society where daily bread is, in, is unstable, and for many people in Waco, it's unstable, right? They don't know where the next meal is going to come from. Um, towards the end of a month, there's more month than there is food. And people struggle. Um, and uh, and uh, it's, it's a rough time. But 
But again, you're taught to pray for daily bread, um, to be anxious about nothing. You need to trust, God calls me to trust him with the needs of the day, to be concerned for the needs of others. So this is the next part. Um, not only to pray for daily bread for ourselves, but to work and pray for daily bread for others. So when we're concerned about others and we're concerned about their life and, and, uh, and provision, can I ask somebody to tell me when it's 10.30? Would someone volunteer? Okay, Michael, thank you. Um, and to act accordingly. One of, the, one of the greatest things you can do in Lent is to notice the needs of those around you and respond. And it might be like, hey, guys, you, you know, it seems like you're going through a really rough time. Would it be okay if I like, made a dinner and brought it by? <laughs> Would that be all right? Usually people will say, we'd love that. Um, you, can, you can do all manner of things. Um, uh, every one of us has probably known a time in our life where we were in deep need and somebody just took care of things for us um, when we couldn't have taken care of them ourselves. To be content with what I have. Now, this is where it starts to get difficult, and we go from preaching to meddling. Um, contentment is something which is cultivated. Um, you can't just get content by trying to force yourself to be content. How do you do it? By looking around your life and training yourself to give thanks for it instead of misery, <laughs> instead, of, instead of giving yourself over to misery, right? So here's how you do it. I, I do this on occasion. I, I, I look as I'm getting into my car and I see that the seat is torn. It's been torn for a long time. Does it bother me? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I think it's kind of embarrassing and, you know, I, I would like to have a newer seat, but it's just not a priority right now. So what do I do? I get in that car and I try as hard as I can to delight in the things that really do bring me great pleasure. Like the fact that it can go from zero to 60 in like five seconds, you know? Like, like the fact that it's got this roaring V8, which is only running on seven cylinders right now, but that's another thing altogether. Um, do, you, do, you see, do you see how you do it? You just say, I love that about my life. Um, and to love simplicity and to love um, uh, smallness even. I mean, listen, we live in Texas, so everything's got to be bigger and better and uh, lots of country songs have been written about faster horses and other things. Um, but it's to say contentment has to be, has to be uh, cultivated. And, to, and, and for, many, for many of us, we were raised to be discontented. You were raised by uh, people who said, you've got to have more. You know, when are you going to get a new car? Your car is just, uh, it's just not... It's not, it's not good enough for my, for my little girl to drive a car like that. Um, and so what do we learn? Sometimes we learn that God is displeased with our smallness and displeased with our lack. And I've learned to just say, he might actually be greatly pleased by it. Um, I would also say this too. Uh, there's such a habit that can be formed of buying less than you need, of uh, um, buying things for their usefulness and not for their um, status that they give you, right? Because, look, we go to the grocery store, and we have to choose between 20 different kinds of mustard now. This is our state as modern people, okay? 20 different kinds of mustard. And there's $10 mustard up high, and there's like $1 mustard down low. 
And I'm telling you, the $10 mustard is awesome. It's really good. But here's the thing, and this is, this is one thing that Lent teaches us. It teaches us to fast so that we can feast later. And when we learn the value of fasting, we learn to go without so that we can appreciate bounty. The other thing just to keep in mind is that, you know, you might buy that thing because it's got status. You know, it's, it's organic, it's XYZ, it sends all the right signals to our friends when they come to visit that we, we only buy organic mustard and we're so much better than you. And like, it's all of that, right? So, you know, kind of check those motives and say, you know, what would it look like if we just, if we just pared down and didn't do all those things all the time, right? Um, I remember there's a great story about Mother Teresa and a woman, uh, came to her, a very wealthy Indian woman, and, uh, and was looking for some direction. And Mother Teresa just looked at her and said, how much did your sari cost? <laughs> I don't know what it was. Something like, you know, 100 rupees, right? And Mother Teresa's like, this cost two rupees. <laughs> and and, and the, the woman's like, well, should, I get a $2, should I get a $2 sari then? Or a two rupee sari? She's like, no. 75 will be fine. Do you see the point? It does vary by person. We have to be really aware of this. That um, that, but we should always try to live live with less. Um, and to grow in gratitude for His provision. Um, the Christian prayer is marked by thanksgiving. Um, I love what Alexander Schmemann, the great uh, Orthodox liturgical theologian, says about this. He says that the the hu- human life is essentially measured by um, its its Eucharistic quality. Is it lived in thanksgiving to God? Um, that's a that's a big question. Um, the truth of it is that um, uh, many people have the have the joy and, and honor of um, uh, doing things like working in nursing homes and and, uh, and hospices, and they see how people die. And the the really sad thing is a lot of people die with a lot of ungratefulness that they've borne for a long long time, and the, the problem is you can't get there all in a day. Um, it takes years and years and years of practicing this thankfulness. So I want to encourage you in that. All right. Why does God give you daily bread? God gives me daily bread because He is a good and loving Father who gives good things to all His children, sustains us in life, and desires that we grow daily in His grace. One of the, one of the hardest bits of Scripture to kind of bring into your interior life is this. That, that God sends his rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you don't hear that and say something like, but that's not right, <laughs> there's something wrong with you. You've got to kind of check it. It's like, you should be kind of like miffed by that. Why is it that these evil people get to live? And I'm over here doing the very best I can, which isn't true. And, 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 uh, and, 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 I, you know, and I've got to put up with all this garbage in my life, right? Why, why is that? You know, we, we, we're very tempted. You know, I, I, uh, I used to serve people who lived in the wealthiest zip code in all of Texas as a priest. Unbelievable wealth. I mean, they, had, they didn't need anything, right? They had everything they could possibly want. Um, and uh, sometimes you just ask them, like, so um, what kind of car does your neighbor have? They go, oh, they got this amazing car. And it's like, your car is amazing, but, you know, let's get by. And, <laughs> oh, it's amazing. I can't believe it. Well, and, and sometimes they'd say, it just makes me so angry. Well, why? 
because he's mean to his wife, he's mean to his kids, he's shady in his business practices, and yet he's got this amazing car, and I've got this, you know, like four-year-old Mercedes. Why? <laughs> and, <laughs> and, 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 and it's, it's a hard thing to, to see. Why does God give daily bread to people who don't deserve it? Because he's a good and loving father, right? I mean, if, if I was talking to a parent and I said, you know, uh, so what's, what's your discipline technique? Well, you know, the kids who are good, they eat. The ones who aren't, they don't. I'd <laughs> be like, CPS, please. Like, you know? <laughs> um, it's, 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 it's to say God is a good and loving father and he cares for all. He desires all to come to repentance. Um, he sustains all of life. Um, he's not disinterested in grass growing and crops growing and the rest. And, and this is something we need to see uh, because, well, we get so detached from, uh, from agriculture in general, but agriculture is this incredible thing that happens. Are we good? We got one minute? Okay. Agriculture is this incredible thing that happens. We, we, we benefit from it every day, right? Every single day we, we benefit from agriculture. Agriculture is an act of faith, right? Because you never know what might go wrong in that whole thing. Um, a farmer puts in a, seed, in a seed in the ground and can only hope that it's going to grow. Um, uh, a farmer who's got their head screwed on straight will believe that it's God raising up that crop year after year after year. You've got you to believe it. Um, when we go into the grocery store, we just think like, oh, you know, H-E-B, give me my, de- give this, give me my bread, my daily bread, H-E-B, thank you, H-E-B. Um, and uh, because we don't have any other options, uh, well, we do, but you just aren't, you don't want to go there. You don't do it. Um, so it is to say that, that um, we, we must be reminded, we should be reminded that um, it is God who makes the organic salad greens grow. <laughs> um, it's God who uh, raises up uh, your, uh, your uh, shredded wheat. Um, and uh, every single bite you take, uh, is, is filled with God's providence. Um, there are a lot of movements in food that are getting us closer to that, like local food and all that kind of stuff. But, but I would much rather uh, we cultivate ways of eating with thankfulness. Um, one of my favorite writers, Robert Capon, wrote a whole book on food called Food for Thought, and he talks about resurrecting the art of eating in the book, and it's a very good book. Um, but he talks about how important it is that we eat with grateful hearts. Um, not so concerned about the quality of the food, not so concerned about the, um, uh, how well it was made, not so concerned about um, uh, a whole lot of things, but, but eating with gratefulness. Right? Um, and I would say that during this period of Lent, one of the things you learn by fasting, especially fasting from high-quality foods, um, if that's something you want to do, and I would encourage you in it, um, is, is um, you, you learn uh, that all things come from God, um, that he gives all of it uh, to us. And, uh, and we also learn um, that, that it is in the nature of, of things to at times live uh, with scarcity and at times live with bounty. Um, part of the reason for Lent being a time of fasting is that it's a time where your food stores have probably run out. And if they haven't, you better save them up because uh, if the harvest doesn't work out as you hope, what's going to happen? you're definitely going to starve then. Um, note that Easter happens when, and I think this is all according to God's providence. I'm not one of those people who says like, you know, um, it's just we made it up. No, it's more than that. Um, 
But what happens? Go to the farmer's market through Lent. This might be a good spiritual practice for you. And watch the difference between yesterday and the Saturday of Easter. You're going to see bounty coming up from our land. It's an amazing thing. Um, and note that that happens right when we start to feast. These are good things. Um, but it's all tied in with who we are. And, we, and, and what I would say to you is we really need to learn uh, that, that God sustains all of life. And for that, we should be immensely thankful. Um, our worry, our anxiety, our, our, uh, our sense of um, entitled care do nothing to work God's providence. Um, and so thanks be to God for that. We'll pick up next week with the next part about sin. So having talked about food, we can talk about sin. Off and go together. <laughs>